Well, good morning. We're currently in our sermon series, uh, and it's called uh, Recovering and Reconnecting. And as a church, we are using the book of Ruth, and we're looking at uh, what is necessary for us as a church to begin to recover from the trauma of the past year and begin to prepare our hearts to move forward to reconnection with one another. This, this year has been one of angst and distance and isolation and frustration and difficulty. And the past two weeks, Todd has helped us see the different ways we've coped and handled all of those different things the past uh, year, helpfully and unhealthily. And this morning, we're going to transition to the second half of the series. And we're going to look at the reconnecting piece. And this morning, we're going to see that the church was made to be in community with one another. There's a man named um, Daniel Rossi Keene. He's the owner of a small bookstore. He's also a PhD uh, in a little town called uh, Aliquippa in Beaver County in western Pennsylvania. Uh, He's a former professor. He runs a nonprofit in that town as well. Um, He also occasionally writes for the local paper. And this week, uh, a story that he wrote came across my desk, but it was a story that he wrote this time last week, or sorry, this time last year, this week, last year. And it was this week that all non-essential businesses were closed, including his own bookstore and nonprofit. And the article was this call to arms for his little town in his county. And uh, he titled the article, Community Matters, We were made for this, Beaver County. And he goes through all of these. uh, It was wild to read on literally the first day that everything had shut down as we entered into this pandemic life. And all the emotions he was feeling as a father of four, as a uh, small business owner. And he uh, said, he said, I'm trying to wrap my head around the complexity of our moment in history. But the article, even a year ago, was very hopeful. We all remember that moment, right? The moment where we kind of realized that the pandemic was going to throw our entire lives into chaos. When we got the news that uh, our businesses were going to shut down, that our schools were going to go remote. The chaos that that felt, knowing that we were going to wake up the next morning and we weren't going to send them off to school. Or that we weren't going to go into the office. Or that our jobs were lost. But his posture that day, as I said, was hopeful. And and he did it first by looking to the past, which was very interesting. He said, our country has gone through a lot from wars to economic depressions to civil rights movements. And we've always come out of these things stronger. But then he goes, our county of western Pennsylvania has really struggled in the past too. We're an impoverished county. We've had some economic highs, but mainly lows. Uh, It has built this hardened people together. He finishes his essay with this quote. Despite all the challenges ahead, I remain confident that the residents of Beaver County will weather this storm too. 
I'm convinced that we will continue to come together and rediscover what is common about our shared stories. I'm certain that we will innovate and encourage others to do so despite diminished resources. I'm sure that we will continue looking forward to brighter days, creating in the present what we seek to become in our future. And during this season of tremendous change, we must, as a region, continue to dream and learn and collaborate together about the future we wish to create. Learning from the past, laboring in the present, and leaning into the future, this is our only path forward. It's our calling and our privilege to bear the weight of this challenge. Just remember, we were made for this Beaver County. So let's do it together. He wrote that on the first day of the pandemic. What he was saying is, our community is so strong. Don't forget it. This is what's going to get us through this very hard time. And what I want to say to us this morning, Hope Chapel, is as we begin to see a light in the tunnel, our community is what's going to get us out of this time. To Rossi Keene, the strength of their community was what's going to get them through it, and he republished it a year later on the day, right? And it seems like maybe it did. But my hope is for us, the strength of our people, our community, is what's going to get us through this next phase as we re-enter life together and some kind of semblance of normalcy. For a year, we've been careful. We've distanced ourselves. We, uh, Michael's job is like changed to tech guy in a lot of ways. He never expected that. We preached to an empty room for months. And we've hamstrung ourselves, kept ourselves from community, from meeting together like normal. Why? We did it because that's what the church is supposed to do, right? It's called to be on mission for the kingdom of God for the sake of the world. The best way that we could do that as a community was to prevent the spread of COVID as much as possible. And to do that and with the limited resources and knowledge that we had, we did as best as we could to be a good neighbor, to seek the flourishing of the city and the world. But if there is a light at the end of the tunnel, we must start preparing our hearts now for what it's going to look like as we re-enter community together. Restrictions are going to be lifted. They're continuing to be. Vaccinations are becoming widespread. Herd immunity could be around the corner. There could be a return to normal coming. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do, church? I think we need to begin to consider that it's very soon for us to return to community together. To re-enter that community that God has made us to be in his words of, of Rossi Keen, We were made for this. We were made to be a community in Christ. So this year's been hard. It's been hard on all of us for a million different ways. I think for Hope Chapel, the thing we're known for is our community. We are. And we're, in a lot of ways, we all are really, really good at it. And because of what this past year has been, that strength has been taken from us. It's looked different. It's had to weather things it never has before. And many of you are lonely, frustrated, anxious, and full of angst. I, I know you are because I am too. Most days, actually, all those things in one. But we were made for relationship. So when Christ came and he lived and died and rose again, he didn't just save me and you, though he did. He saved us to something. 
He made us into a, a new thing, a family united under him through the power of the Holy Spirit. He renewed this image of God into us. And this identity is the corporate one. So the power of what Christ did at the cross was to create us in us something new. And it's a family, a community together. And Naomi and Ruth, though they didn't know Jesus, understood this in some part. They were widowed. They were on the outside of society. So what they do? They went home. Naomi went home. She brought Ruth with her. She went to her people, her family. And after the great hardship and loss and grief that they felt, there was only one place for her to go. And so she reentered her community. And, and, and many of us, like I said, have suffered that. It's time for us to begin to consider what it's going to look like for us to do the same. And this morning, we're going to look at three ways to do that. Uh, first, we're going to see that we must purposely return or re-enter into community. Second, we must recreate a safe haven. And finally, we must revel in rediscovering this community. So first, we must purposely return. Verse 22 tells us that Ruth and Naomi, uh, both recently widowed and returned to Bethlehem, to Israel. Um, there's some implications in that return, though. It's, uh, the implications that Naomi, but really Ruth, were outsiders now. And they were outsiders in a few different ways. First, it was by their marital status. By being widowed, they had very little opportunities to provide for themselves. And in this patriarchal society, they had few opportunities to make money. Um, and, and by nature of already being married once, it, it would have been hard for either of them to get remarried, namely Naomi. But Ruth uh, was forced to glean in the fields. And as part of the Mosaic law, as many of you know, um, the people of Israel, the landowners, were supposed to leave a part of their field untouched. And this was so that the poor and the impoverished and the widows and those that couldn't provide for themselves could go and they could get and harvest crops for free. So just by nature of Ruth having to do this, we could see that she was at a place of weakness in society. Second, she was also an outsider by her ethnicity. Five times in, in this book of Ruth, uh, she's called a Moabite. And she's called it twice in just this passage that we read. And uh, in chapter 1 that Todd read last week, there's that beautiful passage, right, where Ruth covenants herself with Naomi and all of Israel. She says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will go. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. This is such a beautiful passage. We say it at weddings, right? But really, it was Ruth covenanting herself with the people of Israel, but what we see is that even though she did that, and she was even supposed to be seen as part of God's people, they still saw her as an outsider. She was a Moabite to them still. Finally, she was an outsider just simply because of her gender. Women, especially widowed women, like we mentioned, were seen as lesser in society. And I maintain that the Bible is more progressive and empowering towards women than any other document in its time. It's something worth us maybe discussing further as a church one day. But in this passage, we still see the disparity with the women and the men and how they were treated in this society. And shows that she was in immense danger just by nature of being a woman and being a widow. The threat of assault and violence is stated actually plainly in this passage. And uh, we'll, we'll get more to that in a little bit. But Boaz is even forced to tell his men repeatedly not to harm her and then not to assault her. There's violence in these words. Just her gender made her on the outside of society too. 
So it shows us a young woman, a widow, a refugee, and even someone treated almost as an enemy with suspicion, with no ties to a family, threatened by violence, excluded and impoverished. Think how vulnerable and defenseless she must have felt in those moments. But what we see is that she is profoundly strong and courageous. Despite it all, she goes into the field. She goes in there. She initiates the first step into community. She's willing to take that risky and tough, scary step out into community. And she knew what she was getting into, and she did it. She went to the fields. And I think a lot of it was because she had no choice. There was a level of desperation there. She was going to starve. And Naomi was going to starve, or worse, if she didn't. She took the initiative because she had to. Let's not miss this piece either. Boaz wasn't ambivalent to her either. He noticed her. Verse 4 says, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they said, The Lord bless you. And he said to the young man who's in charge, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reaper said, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So he sees a woman working in his fields he had never seen before. And he wanted to know whose family she was a part of. Who was her husband? Who were her parents? Who's her family? Where did she come from? And I know in our modern context, as we read this, this can feel problematic as if Ruth to be a person had to have someone's claim over her. I know that's difficult for us to read. But he did, I think, see her as a person. He noticed her. He saw that there was someone that he didn't know, perhaps that was vulnerable, and he didn't miss her. This outsider. He was intentional. He knew enough what was going on in his fields and with his people that when there was someone new, he noticed what was going on. I think these two things are incredibly important for us as a church body as we move to reenter community with one another. Returning to community that Hope Chapel has had before the pandemic is going to be difficult. It just is. Actually, returning to any kind of normalcy is going to be kind of weird for us. I think all of us are bracing ourselves a little bit for that as we go to our first sports game or concert or something. There's going to be that level of trepidation, right? And we all kind of feel it just a little bit. And it's a little ahead of us still, but I think the best thing we can do right now is prepare our hearts for it. So how do we do that? Before we get to some of those action steps, let's do some self-assessments. I think most of us fall in a few camps, okay? First, There's some of you that are here for the first time in a long time, or you're watching online still and have been for the past year, and you feel very distanced from Hope Chapel. I would imagine it would feel like you have uh, moved out of state, right? And your entire friend group or family is still hanging out in the state you moved from. You're checking in with them on the phone or you, you've watched from a distance that they've hung out. And so reentrance to community might feel like an impending move back home for you, right? 
unsure how if everyone has changed, grown closer without you, or if they're completely different. You might be very apprehensive and anxious and unsure of what going back is going to look like. Some of you might fall in that camp. Uh, there's some of you that have been kind of one foot in and one foot out this past year. You've come to some services. You've watched online some. You've come to certain Greensboro Saturday occasionally. And you might feel like you have had a taste of what Hope Chapel has been like this past year. But you're unsure if it will ever get back to how it was. Or even since you've been one foot in, one foot out, what's community even going to look like when we're all back together? You probably feel like that person who is on the fringe of the friend group, right? Who doesn't feel like they're an insider or completely belong. So diving back in completely to worship service, community group, the life of the church may seem overwhelming and exhausting. And maybe, are you sure it's worth it? And then there's some of you that have been um, all in during the pandemic. You've watched online when we were online. You've rarely missed in person. You've gone to community group. You've been at Servant Greensboro. But there might be a nagging sense in your head whether or not things will ever be what they were. You've been faithful. And you have concerns about how the church is going to function and operate going forward. And as things open back up, you may be concerned or frustrated or exhausted at the thought of trying to establish again what Hope Chapel was. And the final camp are some of you guys who uh, have only started coming to Hope this past year. And you're not quite sure what we were like before. Because it's the only way you've experienced us. Some of you guys are our favorites because uh, there's some freshness there, right? You don't have uh, some of that uh, lingering what was it like before. Uh, but there might be some apprehension to that group a little bit of like, what is it going to be like if everyone comes back? What is it going to be like when we move inside? What, what, what did Hope Chapel operate like when we weren't in a pandemic? I would assume that there is some apprehension there. And one thing I want to say is this. I do think the pandemic is going to change things. Trauma changes us. It, it shapes us as much as it hurts us. And we've all gone through trauma together. But trauma can either shape us for the worse if we ignore it or shape us to be more like Christ if we actually deal with it. And this is what we're trying to do in this series but Hope Chapel has always done and always will do community well. Because that's what God has called us to be. A gospel community for the flourishing of the city. So I've done a lot of build up. And I did that purposely. Because I wanted to set the stage. And I think also the reason I did a lot of build up is because I think the answer is pretty plain from the text. And it's pretty simple. As we prepare our hearts, the two action steps for us to reenter community are going to be initiation and noticing one another. That's it. Just as Ruth was willing to go into the fields so that Naomi and her could literally eat, so too do we need to prepare our hearts to initiate a full step back into community with one another so that our souls can be fed. So that we can be the community that God has called us to be so that we can support one another, care for one another, love one another well, and help um, one another grow in righteousness in Christ. And I think that there is a level of healthy desperation that's going to be required of all of us as we initiate into community with one another. We're going to have to want it. The pandemic has done a good job of lulling us into not wanting to do things, right? It's easy now that we're not supposed to get up and go to work to not get up and do anything, right? It's, we've been lulled into complacency in a lot of ways. 
And we are going to have to initiate the first step back in the community. And it's going to feel jarring and a little bit like we're off kilter, but it's worth it. Those of you that are more introverted might have to put yourself out there more than you want to. Those of you that are extroverted and have put your attention at other places are going to have to refocus back. It's going to take initiation for all of us to return to community. But it's not just initiation. Ruth did put herself out there, but Boaz noticed her. He was aware. How aware are we right now as a church body of the needs of our people, of those that feel on the outside, of those that feel disconnected? So too do we, even those of us that need to take initiation, also need to notice where one another are. We need to be texting and calling those we haven't seen the past year. We need to be reaching out, noticing who is in need of a relational connection, who, who might feel on the outside, even if you do too, because we all do on some level. This is what a year of distance has done. It's made us all feel like outsiders. Wow, that 10 is gone. Thanks, fellas. This is definitely the windiest day we've had out here. I'm sweating less because of it, though, which is nice. So that's a win for me. We really are all more in the same boat than we realize. I promise. Those of you that feel like you're on the outside, we all do a little bit. But our personal responsibility is to initiate, take that first step, but also to notice where one another are. And Todd has mentioned this many times in this, uh, this series, but it's so incredibly true. You're only going to get as much out of this sermon series as you put in. But we're only going to get as much out of community as we put in too. So both of those two things are true. You're only going to get as much out of this sermon series of reconnecting as much as you're willing to reconnect with one another. That brings me to my second point. Um, We've seen that we were made for community in Christ. We must return to community or at least prepare our hearts for it. And now we see that we must recreate a safe haven. So if you look at these verses, especially verses uh, 8 through 16, the thing that stands out is the way that Boaz creates a a safety and a safe haven for Ruth as she tries to re-enter this community that she was on the outside of. He was a man esteemed. He had status and influence. We knew th- know this by the way he was betray- portrayed, the fact that he was a landowner, the way that he treated his underlings. And he uses this position of privilege and wealth to provide a safe entryway for Ruth into community. So he moves towards her in a couple of different ways. He notices her. He encourages her um, as she's gleaning. And then he invites her to continue to glean from his field. Then he tells her multiple times over and over that he will instruct his men to leave her alone. They won't, they won't put a hand on her. And then he invites her to lunch in verses 14 through 16. He provides for her. He protects her and he provides for her. The church has a vast tradition of being, the best word for it would be a base for people. This is where we get the word sanctuary from, actually. Um, a church sanctuary has always been a place of refuge 
And even in medieval law, it was a place of immunity from arrests for fugitives. So in a world that's constantly right now at each other's throats and polarized and distanced from each other, the church is supposed to be a place of refuge and a safe haven for those to protect and provide for its people and for the world. And we know this through Jesus, right? We know that as Jesus uh, never quit moving towards us, even in our sin, so that he could save us through his blood. He protected us from the penalty of the, the wrongdoing that we did. And he provided for us salvation through the sacrifice, for, through his own sacrifice. And so we are set apart in the same way to embody Christ as we move towards one another as a church. To protect and provide for one another. It's exactly what Boaz did for Ruth. The term safe place or safe spaces is used a lot today, right? It's become polarizing. It's been co-opted by political ideology. And now, just like all political ideologies, it's been used as a bludgeon to hurt one another. Safe spaces in our culture is defined as a place where people who are marginalized can come together to communicate with one another about their marginalization without fearing discrimination or abuse. I state that very plainly, that definition purposefully, because that's not what we're talking about this morning. I think there's room for that conversation as a church of what that means and if that applies to us at all. So I think that there's space for that. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. And I wanted to say that out front so I didn't distract any of us because that could be very distracting. No, we're talking about something different. We're talking about creating a safe haven in Christ as a community together. So what does that mean? It means that we protect and provide for one another. So protection. One thing that we're honest here at Hope Chapel is that everyone has baggage. We come to this place with a story, with hurts and trauma and brokenness in our past. And some of those things are incredibly painful. And the danger with any community is that our hurt and our trauma and our brokenness can be a something that causes distance between one another. So when we talk about Hope Chapel being a community that's a safe haven, what we're saying is we want to create a community where we can be open, honest, and vulnerable about those things. About our pasts, about our trauma, about our hurt. Those pieces of our story, when they're met with openness and grace and mercy and truth, they don't become things that cause distance, but rather intimacy. We want to be a community where the brokenness of one's past is not disqualifying, but rather an opportunity for freedom. We want to be a community where trauma is not ignored, but is an avenue towards healing together. We want to be a community where pain is not dismissed, but can be discussed and worked through with people who are full of mercy, truth, and grace. And we want to be a community where differences in personality and thought and ideology are not looked at with suspicion, but are welcomed by people who want to embody the diversity of God and his kingdom. That's how we protect one another. This is all about protection. Because it takes the people who are willing to protect the sanctity of that space and that community for us to flourish together. 
It takes intentionality to create a community that is that open and safe and free to be who God made us to be, where our stories have taken us together so that it leads us to intimacy and not distance. And Hope Chapel in the past has done this well and this this past year stretched us and pushed us and taken away a lot of those things. Um, And it's the nature of the pandemic has made us um, feel like we're at odds with one another and distant from one another um, emotionally and spiritually, ideologically, maybe even politically. But it's up to us to recreate a community together that's a safe haven for all of us to flourish in, to connect in and have community with one another. And Boaz didn't just protect Ruth, he provided for her. He brought her to his table Allowed her to have a leg up in his field. He sent her home with enough food that her and Naomi were good. And he allowed her to harvest the entire season. So for people to return to community, that's a safe haven for them. We must provide for one another. We must actually move towards one another. Even those that are different than us. That are older than us or younger than us. And provide that community that we're all looking for. That we all feel on the outside of. We must take our lives, our hearts, and the totality of ourselves and make them open to one another. It's there that we'll recreate this safe haven in Christ together. I do have a third point. We're not going to get there. There's it's just not enough time. The third point is about reveling in community. There's a, there's a piece where Ruth and Naomi connect and they celebrate with one another, and they're grateful and full of gratitude. And that's what I want us in the future. I want us this time a year from now to be reveling in the community that God has reestablished with one another. In a year, I want us to be reveling in this community again, overflowing with gratefulness for what God has done, where he has brought us, and how he has shaped us more in the likeness of his son together. That's our hope for the future. And Rossi Keene wrote that letter to his community, but he could have written it to any county in the nation, couldn't he? And it could have been applied to the nation as a whole. And it applies to us. His words ring true. We were made for this, Hope Chapel, because Christ has made us into this. A community, a gospel community for the flourishing of the city together in Christ. I want to leave us with this. Addiction counselors, when they're speaking to recovering addicts, often say to them, whether it's sexual drug um, or substance, alcohol um, addiction, they say, recovery is not sobriety. Recovery from addiction is not sobriety. Recovery from addiction is intimacy. It's finding intimacy with others and feeling so connected and so loved that you're not looking outside to numb you for other things to cover you to find solace in to run to what the addict is looking for in the substance they'll only find in relational intimacy with others and whether our addiction is sin the lull of distance that this pandemic has rocked us into, our own selfishness, whatever it is, 
The answer is intimacy with one another. In community with one another. That is our hope. That's how we'll recreate a safe haven. That's how we'll re-enter the community. That's how we'll, in six months or a year's time, we'll revel in the community that God has made. It's by being willing to connect with one another on that level as Christ has connected intimately with each of us. Amen.